Done. Well done. Thanks, Nick. If you're watching online right now, really appreciate that. And if you're someone right now who's going, I think I'd like to be that social media person to get those things going, then why don't you tell us so afterwards and uh, we can organise that and arrange that with you. Well, good morning this morning. Yeah, yeah. All right. Good morning this morning. Welcome to winter. We are in the midst of, uh, we've had summer, we've had our three weeks under the tree, and uh, we've so appreciated that. Summer is gone, it never really arrived, and now we're here in winter. Aren't we so much looking forward to that? You all look so tired already, and it's only the very first week of school. How about that? Okay, I'm just going to move on right now. Um, we just want to say to the people who, who uh, helped out, so, so for Tim and for Peter and for Alex who shared in our Wisdom Under the Tree, just want to say thank you very very much for that. Much appreciated. And it was really good. Actually, it's a lovely space to be together. It's even better if there's actually some warm summer weather as well. And today we want to launch the theme for the year ahead, Quietly Loud. Last year, our theme, we like to have a theme each year. Um, last year, the theme was breathe. And it was in three parts. The first part was this idea in the breathing action to breathe in and ask the question, God, where am I? Where are we? Pause for a moment, second part of the breathing action, God, where are you? Third part of the breathing action, exhaling, God, how may I join you in what you're doing in the world? And so we thought as the pastoral team met and we reflected over the past few weeks and months and prayerfully considered what our theme was for this year ahead, we landed on picking up the third part of that breathe, which is, God, where are you and how might we join you? But in a particular way. So this theme emerged quietly loud. The idea of posturing ourselves in a way as Jesus followers in the world around about in a quietly loud way. We're going to unpack a little bit of that this morning. But to do so, I thought I might just dive straight in. So if you're here with us this morning, if you have a Bible or an iOS device, or if you would like to download our app, we are going to keep talking about this until you are tired and you've downloaded the app is because there's a Bible reference point on there as well. And you can look it up together. So the passage I'd love you to look at this morning is Luke chapter 11. We're going to dive into 1 to 13. And over this next term, as we explore this theme quietly loud, we want to look at the person of Luke as he narrates the story of Jesus, as he's collected them and arranged these stories of Jesus about aspects of Jesus' life that reflect a quietness as well as a loudness and how we might learn from those things together. Well, as you're finding your way just in there, there's three things I want to allude to about the writer Luke. First, he's a physician, which means that he has an eye for detail. He has a forensic analysis. He looks at things and weighs them up and writes them down. Second thing we know about Luke is that if you read cover to cover, he has this kind of dichotomy going. He characterizes rich people as the oppressors and the poor people as the oppressed. So as you narrate and read the words, if you have to carry that in context, that's still true in many parts of our world. But it's not entirely true because some of the most generous people I know are some of those who have access to lots of resources. The third thing, Luke wants to talk about often the person of the Holy Spirit. When someone comes to know Jesus and they open up their heart and life to him, he promises to pour his spirit, his very empowering presence in their life. 
And the purpose of the Holy Spirit's empowering presence in a human being's life is that it might begin to change them from the inside out into the very character and nature of Jesus himself. There's a large word the Bible used for that. It's called sanctification. It's this idea of becoming more like Jesus from the inside out willingly. And so there's the three things and I just want to dive in this morning. So if you're here with me, how about we go ahead and read ahead. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Master, Jesus, would you teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples? You see, the followers of Jesus, the Christians, those Jesus' disciples, must have been observing one of the quiet spaces in his life, observing the way in which Jesus would just quietly, routinely steal away some moments to be with God, his Father. And so naturally they turn to him and they say, would you teach us just like John, your cousin, taught his followers? And so hearing those words, Jesus, he says this in response. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Now we don't use that word hallowed much these days, Apart from when it comes to sporting precincts, if you go to Lords, there would be a hallowed turf. If you walk around the precinct of the MCG, they would call it the hallowed precinct because we live in a flat world these days in which there's routinely nothing really special, but we designate them ourselves. And what Jesus is wanting to impress upon them is that there's a God who can be related to kind of like as Father. And when you set him in his rightful place, when you put him above you, you will discover and find out that the people and the purpose and your setting around you will fall somewhat into place. And so Jesus is encouraging them. When you pray and when you speak to God, what I would invite you to do is set God above you. Honor him. Have your heart open to him so that you might Praise him. Worship him. Because when you do that and you set him above you, often your purpose in this world and the relationships you have with people around about you will fall into their natural space. God's space. Then he says this, your kingdom come. He says when you open up your heart to God and begin to speak to him in this way, the next natural thing that will happen is that you will make yourself available to him. It's as though you will open up and say, God, in the goings and comings and goings of my life today, whether I'm at school or whether I'm at work or whether I'm at sport or within the community, wherever I am, I want to make myself available to you to be a worker for you for justice and mercy in a world that's out of sync. I want to be the one who gives your kindness and goodness. I want to be available to you to speak truth and rightness into an upside-down world. And so I want to make myself available to you. And then anticipating the posture and that prayerfulness towards God, Jesus then just quite clearly sets out three requests that often Jesus' followers will make of God. The first one is, would you give us would you provide for us, God, the things that we need, not always that we want, but would you be my provider in the things that I need in the comings and goings of my life? And secondly, the second request that's often on the lips of a follower 
who sets God above them. They become aware of the way in which they've fallen short in relationships around them. And so they will be in the habit of saying, God, I'm aware of who I am and the way in which I have treated other people. And so I ask that you might forgive me when I have sinned and wronged and held grievances against other people because I'm aware that you have forgiven me. And so I want to be a forgiving person. And so would you help me to forgive other people around me and keep short accounts so that we might maintain the primacy of relationship and unity among ourselves? And then lastly, in a backhanded way, Jesus says this, and would then you pray, God, would you lead us not into temptation, which is essentially saying, God, would you protect us from the schemes of the evil one who wants to distract me, who wants to, me to make a detour in my life, who, who wants to be the one who subverts the things that you're doing good around about and in me? Would you protect me and guard me like you say that you will? And so Jesus, if you like, is inviting people to walk deeper with his father. I remember a time in my life when I began to call out to God in a different way. I was in my late teens, early 20s. And I remember calling out to God because I sensed that he was starting to lay upon my heart and my life this sense of if I'm going to be accountable to him one day when I stand before him, and if he really has died for me, then I want to live for him. And so I remember I made some adjustments in those early years of my life, and I began to, if you like, call out upon God for myself. What that would invariably involve, and back then in those days, there wasn't a whole lot of good, I would say, Jesus worship stuff. We used to have these things called cassette tapes. Do you remember them? And because I thought there was a really limited number of the kind of that I could listen to, occasionally you might find me driving to university or to my work, having pressed one of the cassette tapes in, having wound it up with the pencil, and placed it in into the right place, singing my heart out to God in the car. If you had it driven up alongside of me, you would have looked across and gone, there's a weird guy. But other parts of my life, I found that I began to actually call out to God and pray and say, God, I want you involved in the decisions I make if you are really God. I'd like to know which direction to head in. I'd like you to have access to the relationships around me and the values in my life. I want you to actually begin to shape them. Would you do that for me, please? And then what you'd find sort of in the routine course of my life, I'd begin to actually open up one of the books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and start to read with a simple prayer, God, would you reveal yourself to me? And you might find me tucked quietly away in a room or some space reading. I know for many people, reading's a really difficult thing. So that's why they invented audio Bible. So you could duck away and share quiet space. And this is what happened. Three things. Firstly, I discovered routinely doing that over a period of time. The first thing I discovered is that no one was clapping. No one was cheering. And no one was ever saying, oh, well done, good on you, Troy, for doing that. Why? Because they didn't know. I wasn't doing it for someone else. I was doing it not even so much for me. But if God was God and he'd done what he said he'd done for me and for this world, 
then I figured that he was worthy and due of attention. I didn't do it for anyone else. The second thing I discovered was this, that as I made myself open to God, routinely drew close to him, he began to draw close to me. And I discovered in my life that there were values that began to shift in me. The most significant one was pride. This idea of being better than other people or having this self-acclaimed confidence in myself. That was the thing that began to rub off or, if you like, actually erode away. Now, it's not fixed. It's not all resolved. But they're the shifts I found and I experienced in my life. I also found that in the course of that, that as I engaged various relationships, I looked at people variously differently. Now, instead of, if you like, how might I utilize someone for my benefit, I began to, if you like, have a sense of how might I serve someone else for their benefit for no due to myself. And I put that down to God shaping me. The third thing I discovered, well... It's been over the course of 30 years now. The third thing I've discovered is that there are plenty of times when I draw close to God when I feel nothing. But there are some times when I draw close to God that I do. So I kind of figure it's like having a routine diet. I can't tell you what I ate three months ago, but I can tell you this, it nourished me. In the last course of 30 years of walking with God, seeking to do this in a routine manner, There's one significant thing that has changed, though, and it's this. Life has become far more complex. My experience of the world is vastly wider, which leaves me often, as a Jesus person, torn between two polarities at times. There's often and aptly described by the psalmists. Sometimes in my life, I've... Relate to Psalm 22. God, where are you? Because I'm calling out and speaking and you don't always feel close. The second part though, just the next Psalm onwards, is the other dimension I relate to. Where there's a little boy, he's a shepherd, and he steals himself beside a quiet stream and he describes God in this term. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures because that's what he's like. If I was a physicist, I would say it's the difference between balancing Newtonian physics. What goes up comes down. It's as straight and simple as that. Two, if you like, far more quantum mechanics, which one Nobel laureate said, if you think you understand quantum mechanics, then you do not understand quantum mechanics. There are mysteries in this world that we are still seeking to understand. Quantum's one of them. And somehow, my life exists and inhabits between the two. Not always fluctuating left and right, because in the center of it, what I discover is this. The things that I feel I know that have been revealed to me clearly about who God is, if you like, they're simpler, but they're clearer. And the things that are more complex that I don't always understand and can wrap my head around, I have to embrace some sense of mystery in God and not knowing. And I'm okay with that, but it's not easily always resolved.
Well, Jesus sensing these things, I think he's leaning into his followers and saying, why don't you try putting first things first at the start of a year, at the start of a school term, at the start of a new work situation? What would it mean for you to wake up in the morning and say, God, you're above me and I honor that. Would you be with me so that the other things might help fall into place? But sensing this, Luke then goes and presses in to tell a hypothetical. And it goes like this, if you want to read along with me. Suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Now, our instinct would be to say today is, well, we can solve that quite readily. There's this app called Uber Eats. And if there's probably equivalent donkey one and you can just order your food. But apparently there was no Uber Eats back then. There was no 7-Eleven. There was no retail market open 24-7 around the corner. But what you did have was your friends. And so Luke wanting to, if you like, draw upon Jesus' words to press something deeper to people who would call out to God about what he's like, he portrays his hypothetical. Well, the story goes on and it goes like this. And suppose that at 12 o'clock at night, the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. And in our modern context in Melbourne, eastern suburbs would say, quite Right, thank you very much, because that is just a rude imposition. But not so in Middle Eastern culture, because this person is torn between the inconvenience of waking up a friend and the honour shame of not providing for a guest, and which is worse. So Jesus goes on and says this, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give the bread because of friendship, yet because of... And your version will say persistence or boldness, and they've tweaked it slightly, which places the emphasis upon the person asking rather than another nuance of this word. As other scholars have said, it should keep it rightly in the place of the person who's being asked. Sense of shame. He will surely get up and give you, this is where it fits, as much as, because He would not like to wake up in the morning time when you've gone to him and he has denied you with this lame excuse because you've just gone to the next house now and said, can you believe it? I just knocked on old Joe's door over there and he gave me this lame excuse. He said that he'd blown out the candle, that his kids were all lying as they would side by side asleep and he didn't want to tiptoe over them. Can you believe that? The whole village the next morning would have been looking at Joe going, shame on you. And Jesus wants you to know, if you sense, that you're not dealing with a next door neighbor when you speak to God. You're dealing with someone who is kind of like, but not like the next door neighbor. So he launches into this. So I say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks, asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers? Here's the link now from the top to the bottom now. Father, hallowed be. Father, comparison. If your son asks for a fish using 
big hyperbole and exaggeration, would give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Or if you then, comparatively, between the Father in heaven and you, are evil by comparison, do that for your children, then I want you to know how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. If you like, Jesus was wanting to impress upon them a profound truth. That when human beings, no matter where they are, what status they are, call out to the living God, open their hearts to him, say, Jesus, you are who you are, and I want to thank you for that, that he pours his Holy Spirit, his presence into the hearts and minds of human beings so that no matter whether you're on a high or a low, whether you're in the midst of adversity or good times, whether you're scrounging to pull ends meet together, make ends meet together, or whether there's an abundance, you have this presiding sense that you have been marked out by the living God as one of his own and that his presence is with you and among you wherever you are when you meet with other fellow Jesus people. Why? Because he wants you to know that the person you are speaking to in his heart of hearts, the very core of his being, that he is good. He is good. If that's going to be challenged in our world, if there's one thing that's going to be challenged in our world, it's that. There's one thing that's going to be challenged in your life. Is God good, even in the midst of struggle? Is he good? I was speaking to uh, a man and a, a father this week who received a telephone call from his son, older son. And he said, this, this particular son rarely calls. So when he calls, you answer and you wonder what's going on. Well, he called. He was away camping a number of hours away. And he called at 9 o'clock in the evening. And Dad said, what's up? And he said, Dad, I've lost my aura ring. Now, I had no idea what that was. But apparently, it's a ring that you put on that pairs with your Apple devices that tells you all this good stuff about your body, your heart rate, all that stuff. And they're expensive, right? Anyone an aura ring to you? All right. And he said, I put it on the bull bar of, a, of the car, and as I was driving down the track, it fell off, and I've spent the last nine hours looking for it, and I can't find it. I'm just exhausted. And, and I sensed in the dad's voice that there was this, well, he'd sensed that there was this kind of invitation from the son without really saying it. And he said, okay, we're on our way. He went to his wife and said, do you want to do an adventure? They said, yep. So they got in their car at 9 o'clock at night and they arrived in the campground, remote campground, at 1 a.m. in the morning. Woke up in the morning time and he said to his son, okay, give me the status. Where have you gone? What have you done? And he said, okay, there's two things. I, I just want you to know here. I've been praying. I'm going to pray that God will show us the ring and he'll do it quickly. <laughs> right? Now, is that greedy? I'd like the ring, right? The greedy part, right? No, no, no. And so they went about looking. In five minutes, 
the ring was found. Now, there's a bit of guts in that. But I wonder if the son has sat back and gone, he could either do one of two things. He could either conclude, man, I was enough, enough doofus for missing that ring. My dad had to come all this way to find it. Or he could maybe conclude one day, wow, I have a parent like that who would get in the car at 9 o'clock at night, drive and meet me at 1am in the morning, just totally disrupt their schedule to help me find something that's important to me. And that's what God kind of, Jesus is saying, is like. So last week, last November, we talked about our vision for the year ahead. And we said, we inhabit a world right now, Jesus followers, people of faith. We live in a flat world where where the, the word is, if you like, it's just pervasive and it's suffocating. All there is is here and now. We live in a world now where people of faith are being told, keep your private stuff to yourself. It has no place in the public sphere. And we inhabit a world that is so measum that we curate a life around us that is inward, which is the exact antithesis of the Jesus life, outward looking. And, and people of faith are trying to discover again, how do we inhabit a world where we're no longer in the middle? And the answer is not to reclaim the middle because in the middle there's been some abuse of power that we also need to reckon with. But now as we find and learn a new language and a new way of inhabiting the spheres of our world, we need to do so, what we've felt is, in a quietly loud way. And so that's why we want to take a turn to explore and look at the person of Jesus about how he was quiet at times and he was loud at other times. The quietness has to do with our posture, which we've spent a lot of time talking about over the years, but our loudness has to do with carrying convictions that are formed on foundations that give us something to have a backbone over, to say, no, I draw the line there. But as I draw the line, I need to know how to actually live that line quietly because, frankly, sometimes Christians can be loud on the things I need to be quiet and they're quiet on the things I need to be loud about. And we want to learn that again. What does it mean to inhabit a new world? And I wonder how God might be speaking to you today. Do you need to be reminded of the goodness of God? He's good. Or maybe you hear the words of Nikki saying, why don't you come, dive deeper, come on a journey, explore. Or maybe this morning the most apt thing to do that we have facilitated this morning is that we finish our time together drawing close to God in a communion space. Come on up, Gonok and Kyle. Because what we thought it would be most apt and appropriate to do is we set the year in place, even though it's already started. It's a space that if you would like to draw close to God with and thank him for what he's done, but equally say, God, I would like to walk deeper with you this year. Then we're going to have prayer people postured around the room, some at the front, some near, and you'll see them. And and you might just want to, as you participate in this space, stand before them and just you can just stand there and they're going to pray a blessing over you. Or maybe you just stand there with your hands open and say, I would like to walk deeper with God. It's not a conversation. And they'll just pray for you. And then you can proceed into a communion space if you'd like to join us. Yeah.
So on the night before Jesus was betrayed, it said that he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, in the same way after supper, he took a cup and he said, this is, cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink together in my name. Because as you do so, you declare who I am until I come again. And then he says, Paul writes, but as you do so, I want you to reflect upon the relationships around you. Because this means that as you enter into it, you receive the forgiveness and life of God in you. Therefore, are you living that way yourself with others? And so rightly, you might pause beforehand and say, God, I need some things to confess to you and clean up in my life. Would you help me? And now I can participate the goodness of who you are because you did this for me. And so what we're going to do is just create the last sort of 10 minutes or so for you to do that. And so you might want to get up out of your chair and, and take one of the wafers and a cup, take it back with you to where you're sitting. You might serve someone, maybe together. And then you might just in the quiet space pray and eat and drink at your time. If you'd like to join with us, this is brand new for you. There's a little card on the table that explains what's going on. And if we just sense that if you want to draw close to God, uh, even if you don't have it all worked out, but thank him. If there's something in you that says, I want to thank you for what you've done for me. I believe that. Then we welcome you to participate too. Otherwise, it might be that the apt thing for you to do is just sit, receive. But what we want to do is create a space right now for us to respond. And so we'd invite you to do that. I'm going to pray. And then if you'd like to participate, there's stations all around the room. God, here in this place this morning, I wonder what you've been saying to us. I wonder what it is that you've set in our minds and hearts to do. Would you enable us to do that? But right now, here in this space, we want to thank you for who you are. We ask that you might work, that you might be among us, that you might speak to us as we thank you for what you have done for the whole world. Amen. Why don't you respond in your time?